Angie has made it easier than ever to hire high-quality pros to get all your home service jobs done well. Just bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie will connect you with local pros who match your specific needs. Or book a service instantly at an upfront price. So join the millions of homeowners who use Angie to care for their homes and get your next home service job done well. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. I'm Andy Katz, the host of March Madness 365. Welcome to our latest podcast. On this edition of our podcast, well, we've been counting down the team of the decade votes from across the country as we had a bracket of 64 and i thank everyone out there who was voting consistently uh doing a great job helping us out uh and we got to a final four this week of michigan state kentucky yukon and purdue three of those four schools will be represented on this podcast you'll hear from matt painter from purdue tom Izzo from michigan state and dan hurley who's taken over this UConn program from Kevin Ollie and Jim Calhoun. But this program still recognizes one of the best in the country. Their fan base clearly is intense as ever, certainly with the move to the Big East. As UConn, Purdue, underrated fan base, by the way. Michigan State, now elite. And Kentucky, four fan bases that have come out in droves for the team of the decade. So right off the bat, I'm going to tell you, I like to do these lists. My top five, I'm going to go top seven. Okay, my team of the decade, player-wise, Kemba Walker, all right, led UConn, epic run to the Big East title and a national championship. Jalen Brunson, part of two national championship teams with Villanova, wins player of the year, he's on there. Anthony Davis from Kentucky. Gets a national championship, 2012, one-year Kentucky. Frank Kaminsky from Wisconsin made it to -to back-to-back Final Fours within five minutes of a national championship, player of the year, great career for someone who was not highly recruited. So I put him on there. And then I had a debate. Zion Williamson did not get to a Final Four, but he was National Player of the Year, and he was as dominant a player when he played – when he was healthy, as we've seen since, you know, that same year, maybe Carmelo Anthony in 03. So, and when I, and I'm the LeBron James comparison in terms of a number one draft pick that you knew was going to be a number one draft pick unequivocally. So, once the season started, once he got uh, really through Kentucky on that first day. So, I went with Zion Williamson in that five spot. Um, just a tremendous year and impact that he had. But I didn't want to stop there, so I got two guys off the bench. Frank Mason from Kansas, who was a national player of the year, really self-made, if you will, was not highly touted coming into college. And then Doug McDermott, who had a phenomenal career at Creighton, uh, also a player of the year. I felt like he deserved to be on this team because of what he did for the Blue Jays. So that's my seven. Kemba Walker, UConn. Anthony Davis, Kentucky. Jalen Brunson, Villanova. Frank Kaminsky, Wisconsin. Zion Williamson, Duke. Frank Mason from Kansas. And Doug McDermott from Creighton. Uh, That's a pretty good seven over the last 10 years. 
So uh, I would take that without question. By the way, last week we posted a new Power 36, okay? Um, And so I want you to make sure you check that out. That is on the site right now. Top five stay the same, Michigan State, Kansas, Kentucky, Duke, Maryland. Had some movement with Seton Hall and Texas Tech. Florida stayed the same. Carolina, oh, excuse me, Louisville, Carolina, Gonzaga, Virginia, Memphis. They're all in that same area. Villanova, Xavier, Purdue, Baylor, Ohio State, Illinois, Georgetown, all in that same area. Moved up Washington by one because they had such a good trip overseas. Oregon is the new team. Uh, I got to learn how to pronounce his name. If it's in Folly Dante, not quite sure. I'll get to that. Addison Patterson, Chris Duarte, C.J. Walker, Chandler Lawson, uh, Were I don't know if I'm pronouncing that. I hope I am. Anthony Mathis, Shakur uh, Justin. They've got a loaded roster. I jumped them all the way up to 22. Utah State, uh, now at uh, still in the top 25. Auburn, Marquette, St. Mary's, big jump, 32 to 26. Had a good talk with Randy Bennett. Moved them up. Moved up Providence after the Pan Am games. Good showing by Providence players. Davidson moved them up a couple spots. Penn State up a couple spots. Colorado uh, slid back just a little, but still in the power 36. Moved up USC. You know, Onyeka Okwanwu had a great foreign trip for USC. Moved them into the power 36. Then VCU, Houston, LSU. Trenton Watford got them in this group now with their summer trip. And Vermont, I like to rotate that uh, 36 spot a little bit, give them some love. I think they got a chance to win a game in the NCAA tournament this year. In the mix, Arizona, Tennessee, NC State, South Florida, which has had that spot. Those first four have been in the power 36. Cincinnati, Creighton, Florida State, South Carolina, Wichita State, Michigan, Iowa, Arizona State, New Mexico State, Kansas State, Oklahoma, TCU, Notre Dame, Harvard, Mississippi State, and Pepperdine. Also, look for the predictions that we've got going on periodically throughout the course of the month on various conferences. That's on NCAA.com as well. So a lot to get to on this podcast. Three good interviews. You've got my list of my seven from the decade. Let's get right to it. And now joining me here on March Madness 365, Michigan State Hall of Fame head coach Tom Izzo. And Tom, uh, before we talk about this season uh, as we're getting ready uh, for the pre-preseason, uh, before you guys officially get going. On March Madness, we've been doing our team of the decade, and we've got a Final Four now, and we've got Michigan State taking on Kentucky. Uh, the fan voting is leaning Kentucky, which I'm not, I know you're not surprised, and then it's UConn-Purdue in the other matchup with, uh, you know, that one, we'll see if it's too close to call. But A, this show's great fandom by your fan base to get Michigan State to the Final Four. But also, uh, I'm just curious, you know, I put together this five. Tell me what you think. If you had these five together at one time, Draymond Green, Cassius Winston, Miles Bridges, Denzel Valentine, and Jaron Jackson, what would that five do? I mean, we'd have a chance to win it all. (laughs) (laughs) You know, Andy, as you know, I mean, Kentucky and Duke have had those kind of lineups. Uh, There's more to to uh lineups than uh than just great players but i think what that would bring for me is you got guys like denzel and and uh cassius who weren't maybe as highly recruited out of high school um and some of those other guys of course were and i think it would be a good balance and i think that's what you need but uh man there's a lot of good teams that's for the entire decade there's a lot of good teams 
although we have gotten to some things this decade that have been good, but what excites me about the decade is, you know, I, I think consistency is, you and I have talked about it many a times. Consistency is what I've always looked for here. And, you know, 2000, 2010, we were pretty consistent. 2010 to 2019, we've been pretty consistent. What does it also say that, you know, like I had, and I'm sure you would have the same problem. Like I had a hard time eliminating guys. Like you've had that many good players uh, and they don't have to be NBA all-stars, you know, types like uh, Draymond Green. Um, but you've had so many good guys over that 10-year period that, it, that it's difficult where some other schools, you know, I could easily come up with five just right off the top of my head. But I really had to think about, okay, who do I eliminate here because there's been so many good players? Well, that's very true. You know, I, I really mean that too because I think there were some players that that really helped us big time win games that weren't in that magical number, you know, Gary Harris, uh, Adrian Payne, uh, you know, <laughs> as goopy as a Travis Trice, you know, he got us the two final fours. And, and so there's been that, those kind of things. But when you say that about Michigan state and Purdue would probably be in that boat. But if you look at UConn back in the day, and if you look at Kentucky all the time, there's 30 of them, you know, so they got, they got uh, they got a lot of very, very, very talented and good players. But, I, I you know, I, I like the fact that uh, what I think it says about us is there's a there's a blend between the the Jacksons and the and the Bridges and even the Harris's back in his day. And then you bring in the Draymonts and Valentines who weren't everybody's McDonald's All-American. What does it also say about the fan base that we've gotten to the point now where a Michigan State fan base, we can count on them to come out in full force on something like online like this uh, and be really neck and neck with big blue nation in terms of their fandom to make sure that they're, you know, uh, in a fictitious competition like this, but the fans come out in droves. Well, Andy, that's probably one of the other things that's most exciting for me. You know, I mean, that's what you want to do. You building a good team, as I've always said early in my career is, it's pretty simple. You know, you can get lucky and have a good year or two team, but building a good program means you've sustained something over time, number one, but you've also built your fan base. You build your culture. And I think the advantage of me being here now for, you know, 25 years as a head coach, but 36 years in the system, you know, replacing Judd and then Kuskanakis, it's been 50 some years that guys that are still were around the program, you know, Gus and Judd died, but Gus was my, was my radio guy, as you know, for a long time. So it's, it's connected the generations all the way back to the sixties and uh, not many programs can say they've done that. All right. So let's quickly look uh, ahead to this season. I know we'll have plenty of time to talk in the coming months, uh, really coming month. It's going to ha- be here before we know. Oh, it's it, hard to believe, isn't I it? I know, it's crazy. News. I mean, media day to 10 is October 2nd, which is, uh, you know, a month from today when we're taping. So it's crazy. Uh, Cassius, he's going to be my preseason. You think about the, What's that? the practice. I think about the practice, Andy. The think we're, we're opening up the 24th of September. Remember, it used to be October oh, yeah, 15th. I know. That's three weeks, and we played three weeks longer. That's six extra weeks. I mean, that too worries me a little bit. That's one of the reasons we didn't go to Spain this year, you know. I want to make sure you guys are fresh, but sorry to interrupt. Well, no, 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 so Cassius, you know, he's going to be my preseason national player of the year, preseason Big Ten player of the year. I don't think I'll be alone in that. Uh, what has he done in this offseason, though, to prepare himself for, 
you know, the leadership that he'll need to continue at another level. And really for all the attention that he is going to be coming his way that, as you said, I mean, he wasn't a guy that came out of high school and already was dealing with all this. Uh, I mean, right. he was no, you know, use the, we're in the middle of the U.S. Open. He was no Coco Goff. He was no 50-year-old phenom. Uh, you know, and now suddenly he's in the in the center of all of it. Well, you know, it is a, a concern. Now, thank God he's a pretty grounded kid and a very intelligent kid um, academically. And he's also, uh, you know, parents are pretty much uh, on top of him in both areas. But I, I wouldn't lie to you. You know, it is a, it's what all coaches worry about. You know, it's, it's why so many people have trouble repeating, you know. Do people get fat and sassy? Do they start thinking about you know, all the personal accolades they get. He's a humble kid. He's always been a, a more of a giver than a taker. You know, he's been a very good assist man, very unselfish. But, you know, I, I think what he worked on this summer, definitely getting stronger. Leg strength was a big thing, you know. Last year, we kind of wore him down a little bit. And, but he wasn't the strongest kid. And I think that was one thing he really worked on. And, uh, and trying to become a better leader. You know, leaders are... A lot of different ways, some by example, some by voice, uh, you know, some by demanding. And I think great leaders are guys that I'm, I'm not big on guys that lead by example only. I think that's a cop out. So that's what I've tried to push him. Yeah, you can be a good student. Yeah, you can get in here and work. But can you bring other people with you? And, and that's an area I think he has improved on and he's working on every day. All right. So two last areas here. One is the two other stars if you will that at least in the preseason we'll get a lot of that and that that's Aaron Henry uh and Xavier Tillman uh and then also the health of Joshua Langford and then the other group the newcomers the newer faces that people aren't as familiar with uh what have you seen out of that group so first these returning guys and and especially Langford health what what do you see in there God, you should be a coach Andy I think you hit the nail on the head you know I mean it's important with Xavier and Aaron but I think a big key is going to be after six and a half months, seven months off, does Joshua Langford come back to where he was in the uh, right before Christmas, you know, and Thanksgiving when he was so good against North Carolina and Texas and things like that out in Vegas. So he has worked his tail off, but, you know, he can't work his tail off on his game until the last, as far as, you know, running and jumping until the last couple of weeks. So he got stronger. He's kept his weight where he wants it. He's gotten better with his ball handling. And now he's got to put all that together. And uh, I think he will. As far as the two guys that came on the most, it's kind of the Draymond deal all over again. You know, that um, you, you look at Xavier, he comes in almost 280 pounds and he's down to 240 and he's, um, he just had a, a, a great sophomore season. Uh, I'd say there's three forms of of liking what you do, including your job and mine. Do you like it? Do you love it? Or do you live it? And I think Xavier came here liking it. And I think now he's loving and living it. And that means he's putting in more and more time. And he's he's uh, really proving his shooting some. We asked him to improve his post game a little more. And I think he is, Andy, one of the best ball screen defenders in the whole country. He has a great knack like a dream, a very, very intelligent player. And Aaron Henry, you know, that's a guy, if not for Gary Harris, we don't take Aaron Henry because we, we thought he was a good player, but we didn't know if he was quite good enough. And and uh, and then he uh, 
we got him here and he, you know, had to learn how to play harder. That was his big deal. And uh, he's got great athletic ability, not a great shooter. And that's what he's really improved on now has been his shooting. He's, uh, I think, uh, and his ball handling, his body's in great, great shape. Uh, he's always had a good body. He's probably our best athlete. But uh, he has made, I think, big strides. And, uh, you know, it's kind of a funny thing, but all that NCAA tournament malarkey that I had to go through, but and probably rightfully so, but when that kid learned how to play harder and harder, um, you know, he ended up, I think, leading us in scoring <laughs> the last three, four games. We probably don't get to a final four without him. So I, I love all those guys because they, they have now work ethic and they, they're good team guys. They're very unselfish guys. And, and then when I move into my new guys, I think one other guy that you would be a little surprised at, but he, you know, um, Kyle Arns played 19 minutes a game last year. And I say to this day, if he doesn't get hurt in the Michigan game, I think we have a cheap, better chance to beat Texas Tech because we kind of ran out of bodies. If you remember Cassius and McQuaid were walking on their knees, both of them cramped up because <clears throat> we didn't have a backup. And and so I think Kyle has really had a great summer. And I think you're going to see a little more out of him than I thought. And, and uh, probably the other newcomers uh, uh Malik Hall and Rocket Watts are two guys that I I think could help us immediately but I I have a, a one of those teams Andy that uh the negative and the positive the negative is I don't have a technically a uh a guy like uh, Miles Bridges or Josh or, or uh you know, the, the super, superstar that everybody knows is a top 10 pick. But I got a lot of good players. And the key for me is going to be playing nine or 10 guys and uh, really rotating the guys properly because I think I'll have that issue. Foster, a lawyer, has come back. Thomas Kithier has been a guy that I've seen make some major improvements this summer. Well, these are all good problems to have. Can't wait to see yep. you. Uh, I know for sure I'll see you uh, at Big Ten Media Day and then many times after that. So, Tom, uh, we'll see how Michigan State fares in our team of the decade, but uh, uh, great to see the Michigan State um, is in yet another Final Four, even if this one is not is online. Well, I'd, I'd like to trade this one for one later on, but, I, but then again, I appreciate what you do, and I appreciate the job you do, and uh, way to stay up on things. Thanks a lot. I'll look forward to talking to you soon, Andy. All right, thanks, Tom. See you, buddy. Bye. And up next, Darren March Madness 365, Matt Painter, the head coach of Purdue. And now joining me here on March Madness 365, Purdue head coach Matt Painter. And Matt, uh, as we're taping this, we're, we've got our final four for the team of the decade. And it was Michigan State, Kentucky, UConn, Purdue. Uh, for a couple of reasons, I think this is great for Purdue. First of all, fan support out of this world. I mean, your fans have come out in droves online and shows that the Purdue fan base is right up there with anyone in the country. And then also, uh, this is a pretty good five I thought I put together for you. Carson Edwards, each one more, <laughs> Robbie Hummel, Juwan Johnson, and Caleb Swanigan. So if you had that five at one time, what kind of team would you have? Oh, that would be an unbelievable team. You know, obviously with, you know, Carson's ability to, to score the basketball and then each one more. Um, you know, Juwan Johnson was MVP of our league. 
uh, Caleb Swanigan was MVP of our league, both of them first round picks. And then Robbie Hummel, um, it's just the ultimate compliment to, to any team um, that you have with all the things that he does. So um, that, that would be a pretty good team. You know, I, I think uh, uh, we, we probably need someone, it would probably end up being Swanigan and Hummel, the guys that would end up being passers for us. I know we have two guards there, but though both of those guys were such good scorers. So, um, but that'd be a, a fun team to try to figure out you know, some different things. We'd have to, some role definition. I think sometimes when you put together those all-star teams, sometimes the other things come into play, but that's what makes good teams. Those other guys that complement the guys that are on that team. Look, I know you live and breathe it, but what, what, you know, I actually had to eliminate some guys thinking about it. I know you would probably have to as well. I mean, what, what does that tell you over a 10 year period that at a minimum you've got a five, some like that? Well, I think, first of all, and we talk about it with our players is, you know, if you want to be like first team all Big Ten or the Big Ten player of the year, um, an All-American, you know, your team has to win games, you know, outside of a few players that are normally on those lists, especially the elite list and being an All-American, you know, those teams win. And uh, that's what we've been able to do um, is consistently win when you, when you look at those five guys, obviously three of them played together and then. Carson and uh, Caleb played one year together, but those other three guys were in the same class. And, um, you know, I, I think it's pretty special just, just to show really the consistency that we've had, but our ability to win as a group. What does it say about your fan base? I said this at the beginning that we can count on Purdue. I know from our side at March Madness that like right. we put anything out Purdue, they come out in droves. And this was a fan voting team of the decade and Purdue never disappointed and the fans clearly pushed Purdue to the Final Four with, as we said, a, a pretty good five. But what does that speak to where this fan base is right now? Right. No, our fans are great. And uh, I think anybody that, you know, watched us in the NCAA tournament this year, our, our first two games were on the East Coast, first East Coast teams. And, you know, we had, you know, the most fans there. Um, you, you take it to the Sweet 16 in Louisville. You're playing Tennessee. You're playing Virginia. You know, and it was a home court advantage for us. You know, we had a lot. Tennessee really brought a lot of people, but we, our, our fans really stepped up in that last game against Virginia. I would say 80 to 90% of the fans there at that game were, you know, were Purdue fans. So um, we're very fortunate, you know, as a program to have, you know, educated fans like that that back us. We talked a lot about Carson Edwards. Obviously, he had a phenomenal run. Uh, I just want to slide this in. I, I talked to you before. I thought he was the steal of the draft. I was hoping the Celtics would take him. They ended up taking him a little later than I thought, but still, uh, what have you thought of the fit with the Celtics and the kind of summer he already had? Well, he had a great summer. You know, he really piggybacked off his NCAA tournament and played great in the summer league, but I think he's, you know, with the right organization uh, that needs him. And uh, he's with the right coach and Brad Stevens. And I think he's going to do great. You know, I was able to go out to Brad's clinic and uh, be around there and watch him work out one day. And I, you know, I think he's going to be fabulous, but you're also, you know, you have a learning curve and, you know, right as the veterans and everybody gets there, you know, you have to, you know, you have to fit in, you have to, um, you know, be able to come and, you know, really do what he does. Like he, you know, he's a guy that can put a lot of points on the board and, you know, a guy coming off the bench and you got to settle into that role, but you also have to do a lot of little things to help your team win besides scoring. I think it's going to be a perfect compliment to Kemba Walker. Um, you know, they, they're very similar in that regard. So I think that's a great pickup. And speaking of the Celtics, things went both ways here because you went and got Michael Shrewsbury from the Celtics to add to your staff. He's back in college basketball, former Butler assistant, obviously former Celtics assistant. Uh, what was the lure in, in getting Micah back to the college game? Well, obviously we had a great experience when he was with us the first time at Purdue and, 
Um, you know, we're friends and stayed in contact, but he, he ultimately wants to be a head coach and uh, he got close on a couple of jobs. But I think anytime you're, you're disconnected a little bit from the college game, people that are doing the hiring, you know, get worried about, you know, who have you been recruiting lately? And that really, you know, hit home with him after a couple of cycles where he came real close to getting some other jobs and, and now just, you know, getting back into the college game for a couple of years. And, you know, I expect him to be a head coach here in two to three years. And, you know, but we're very fortunate to have him. He's going to do a, you know, do a great job for us. All right, a couple of quick things before I let you go about this team inside. I don't think there'll be any issues here. Who replaces the ball dominance of Carson Edwards on the perimeter? Nobody. nobody we didn't we didn't always play with a ball dominant guard like that so you know Etwan Moore probably had the most usage before him but you know sometimes you have teams that have that you know because you know you have a talent like a Carson Edwards and then sometimes you have more balance and we we had great balance before that just because you know we had Caleb Swanigan and Hammonds and Haas and Vince Edwards and Carson Edwards and Dakota Mathias and Ryan Klein and so when you have balance like that you utilize your balance when you have a guy like Carson Edwards with a lot of guys departing you know you're going to use him a lot more so I just think we'll have a lot of balance we have four freshmen that came off the bench for us last year that jump into a little bigger roles as sophomores and then we also have you know Matt Harms and Nojo Eastern that started for us that played a lot for us and so they'll have some more usage but you know just looking forward to being able to play a couple different ways we can play big with uh, Travion Williams and Matt Harms together and we can also play one of those guys and obviously you you have guys like Aaron Wheeler that um, I thought really progressed as the year went on that's going to have more of an opportunity. So um, we also got some freshmen that I really like. And uh, so we're going to have better balance next year. But I think that's the, the big thing when you lose a guy like Carson Edwards. You know, nobody nobody's going to step into the role he did. You know, he was in that role because of his talents. Trevion Williams had a great summer playing for USA Basketball. You've always been huge in USA Basketball. Now one of the leaders in USA Basketball at the junior level uh, below the uh, Olympic team. Uh, what did you think of his performance with that gold medal U19 team? Well, I think he was, you know, he was great. He kind of played a role for them like he did for us last year. He played 13, 14 minutes a game. He scored. He can, he can really score the basketball um, around the rim. And uh, he's a he's a very good rebounder. So we need him to kind of expand some things for us and, and try to get into that, you know, 20 to 25 minute role. But he's got to put himself in that position. But no, he had a great summer with Bruce Weber. And obviously it's an unbelievable experience to, to represent your country and win a gold medal. And, and lastly, Matt, Aaron Wheeler specifically, um, and we could say Aaron Hunter too, but Eric Hunter too. But I, I thought when I was putting together a list of sort of guys that are going to be the most entertaining players in the country, I had Wheeler on my list as a guy that I think will be entertaining right. and productive. Uh, what are your thoughts on him right now? Yeah, just, you know, an elite level of athleticism can run and jump and, you know, he can shoot threes. And so that's, you know, really how we're going to, you know, utilize him and try to move him as much as we can to offset some things for us, especially with that good size. So, you know, just a guy that's kind of tipping the, the scale there because he hasn't got the, you know, he hasn't got the minutes yet. And so hopefully, you know, he can get more minutes and and get out there because I think when he does, he's, you know, he's so exciting with his ability to crash the glass and get out on the break and then be able to shoot threes. Matt, I appreciate it. Uh, Purdue in our final four for team of the decade. It's an awesome five fan base coming out in droves. And uh, I will see you before we know it, October 2nd, big 10 media day in Chicago. It's crazy how fast it's all happening. (laughs) I know it's going fast. All right. Thanks. (laughs) Thanks Thanks for having me on. All right, man. And up next on March Madness 365, UConn head coach Dan Hurley. 
And now joining me here on March Madness 365, UConn head coach Dan Hurley. And uh, Dan, even though you weren't coaching these players, uh, in our March Madness team of the decade, UConn in the Final Four with Purdue, Michigan State, and Kentucky. And what this tells me is a couple things. First of all, let's deal with this. It says quite a bit, because this was online voting, that the UConn fan base, which you already knew was pretty passionate, is right up there with the best schools in the country, Kentucky, uh, outlasted Duke. Uh, This was impressive. In your short tenure there, what have you learned about the passionate fan base at UConn that this is another example that exemplifies that they're coming out in droves and by the tens of thousands of pushing UConn into our fictitious Team of the Decade Final Four? Well, it's it's funny. Probably the first, uh, Andy, first time I sat down with, with, with Coach Calhoun here, I'm not sure if uh, you know, if his numbers are exactly accurate, but I think um, first thing Coach Calhoun said to me was, uh, you know, Dan, there's, there's 4 million people or so that live in the state of Connecticut, and, you know, and 3 million plus of them are, 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 are huge, huge, diehard Husky fans. So, you know, we, we're, uh, you know, we're the, you know, kind of the professional sports team, you know, the basketball programs at UConn are you know, kind of the professional sports team of the state. And, and even going back to when I played at Seton Hall in, in the early 90s to mid 90s, you know, I remember, you know, games at Continental Airlines Arena. I remember, you know, the UConn fan base, you know, coming to my senior day at, at the Meadowlands and, and put, and I think, you know, close to outnumbering, uh, you know, the, the pirate fans at the game. And, uh, you know, and then the, obviously at the Garden, you know, playing Syracuse there, playing Villanova there. You know, and then just the interaction, social media, you got one of the biggest followings in the country. All right, so if you were coaching this team, how would you coach this team? This is the five I selected for UConn over the last decade. Kemba Walker, Shabazz Napier, Ryan Boatwright, Andre Drummond, and Jeremy Lamb. Well, yeah, I mean, it's, uh, you know, small ball with the, with the one through four there, obviously four guards, you know, so Jeremy would have to, you know, match up and guard the other teams, four men, but those three guards, you know, the, the, obviously we would play really fast, uh, you know, spread the court and play a lot of pick and roll with, uh, with Drummond uh, rolling to the front of the rim and putting four like super talented perimeter people. That's a scary group of four guards to play a, a little Jay Wright small ball with, with Drummond. <laughs> It'd be a good group. Um, yeah. You know, in terms of uh, your connecting with that that era, uh, how's that been going? Uh, you know, because that's that's always been a big Calhoun thing that the family has always returned. Yeah, well, we got a chance to you know to meet Kemba. Kemba, you know, Kemba and Jeremy came to our game. Um, they came to our game against Florida State at uh, at the Prudential Center in Newark this past year. I met Boatwright at Coach's uh, you know charity event, Coach's charity golf event last summer. You know, Andre Drummond was was through last summer, and I believe this summer too, working out in the facility. And then Shabazz got a great chance to sit down with him for like an hour after his season and kind of pick his brain about uh, what his experience was like here. So, you know, with with all the success, you know, and the incredible basketball that's been played here and established by Coach Calhoun and and, and, and Gino and, and then Kevin. You know, it, it's a family, and it's uh, it's as rich a recent tradition as anyone's had in the country. Dan, since we last spoke, the Big East thing is now official. What kind of effect have you seen 
uh, where, you know, whether it's recruiting, you know, we didn't need to worry about brand or name recognition, but what, what's been the effect now that we know officially UConn will be in the Big East a year from now? I think fan excitement, probably number one. Andy, I feel like, uh, you know, for all the you know, U- UConn fans and for the university, it's just so much excitement about the, the return to the Big East, you know, re- renewing, you know, much more traditional rivalries for, uh, for a university, you know, like the University of Connecticut. You know, the kids that go to school here, you know, are, you know we draw a lot of students from, from the Northeast, you know, a lot of students, you know, whose friends, you know, attend Big East schools, you know, the, the, you know, kids that go to UConn, their, their friends attend Villanova, they attend Georgetown, they attend Providence, Seton Hall, you know, so it's like, it's much more traditional rivalries for, for our student fans, uh, you know, for, for the fan base itself. You know, and then, you know, from a recruiting standpoint, I think just the areas that, that, that we're attacking, it's, it's much more uh, just conducive to not having to talk around the geography of, of the American. You know, the American is a great, great basketball league, great coaches, great programs. Uh, but just from a geographical standpoint, you know, it just it didn't necessarily fit our recruiting uh, footprint and, and obviously the rivalries from a university level. So, Dan, before I let you go, obviously you have the American this season. You got this season to prepare for. You guys are already back, you know, doing some practicing officially to start uh, full go here in a couple of weeks. You know, the veterans, you know, you, you've got guys coming back here that certainly can help this team potentially make a postseason run. NCAA tournament, Christian Vital, uh, hopefully healthy, fully healthy, Altari Gilbert. You know, there, there are pieces here. Uh, Josh Carlton, I could go on and on. Uh, what have you seen so far with the veteran guys and the newcomers in terms of that blend? Well, you, you, year two is um, you just feel you know, a lot more like it's uh, like it's your huddle. You, you have a, a greater feeling like it's it's your team. And I just think, you know, it's uh, if you come in and watch us practice, we look like a real program. We look like a real team. We just look a little bit immature and a little bit uh, not, not quite developed in terms of, you know, the, the habits, the maturity, uh, you know, the attention to details, you know, we're a lot more, you know, together as a group, we're, we're young, you know, we're, we're still young and, and, but we're very talented. I feel like we could play 10 guys and not, uh, not feel like it's a stretch. And, you know, for, for me to you know, implement the style of play that I love to coach, I, I need to have, you know, a nine or a 10 man rotation for what we want to do defensively, get after people with our man pressure defense. So I think we'll be positioned a lot better to do that. But in the end, you know, Christian Vital is going to have to do, have a great year. Al three Gilbert's going to have to have, you know, a great year. Josh Carlton, Tyler Polly going to have to take big steps forward. Sid Wilson, Isaiah Whaley, Brendan Adams. And then, um, you know, cause the, the three freshmen that we have, uh, Cook, Cook, uh, James Booknight and Jalen Gaffney, like those guys are going to be big time players here at UConn. But can the older guys, um, you know, kind of help us win early as those guys are learning? Dan, I appreciate it. I know we'll see you soon. And uh, as I said before, uh, great to see the UConn fan base coming out for a team of the decade, putting them in the final four. It'll be uh, a quite an interesting five to put on the floor. Certainly it would be uh, hard to contain on the perimeter. That's for sure. If we had Kemba. Shabazz and Boatwright all around the perimeter. <laughs> Can't guard those guys. Yeah. They'd have no shot. Then you got the big guy in the middle. Um, so, yeah, now people, they, they, I don't know 
I don't just Purdue probably doesn't have a chance. Uh, <laughs> I got to go get my vote in. Yes, right now too, please. So I got to hurry up. <laughs> All right, thanks, Dan. And that'll wrap up this edition of March Madness 365. I'm your host, Andy Katz. As always, go to all our social media platforms on Twitter, Facebook, NCAA.com, wherever you get your podcasts. Find this one. We are rolling headfirst into the October start of Media Day season, October 2nd, the first one, Big Ten in Chicago. Practice for a lot of these teams will start in late September. We're going to have conference preview type podcasts coming for you in the month of October. Some more sound that you'll be able to hear once the season gets going from around the country. Uh, A lot more bells and whistles with the podcast. I think you'll enjoy it. All right. Thanks again for listening. We'll talk to you again next week.